Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 33, 1 through 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I have promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it, in the, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out up to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church, and welcome to those online. Hello to you. Uh, The pastor today has a little rough voice, so hopefully it's coming through good on you guys, and hopefully everybody can hear today. And of course, uh, as always, as a congregation, if the voice goes out, it's a short sermon and we end early, so that's woo. So we'll let God do whatever God wants to do. If he wants me to preach, he'll keep me going. If not, then we'll just uh, pack it up and say, thank you, Lord, and get on out of here. But we'll see how that goes. But uh, as we do uh, come to the Lord, let's first of all uh, join with me in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, as we gather here today, uh, before I can get to the sermon, I wanted to share with you kind of an update uh, with some denominational stuff that was going on this week that may or maybe you didn't hear or maybe you'll hear about in the coming days, but I thought it was kind of important that you kind of hear a little blurb about it just so you kind of knew what was going on. And I don't always update you on every little blip that comes along, but this one was kind of big enough and you can kind of see the different lines of thinking well enough that I thought it was worth sharing with you uh, just a very brief moment here today. And uh, what's been going on is, uh, as you know, uh, the General Conference is the global meeting of every United Methodist around the globe, uh, if you will, and all the different conferences send delegates to go and they vote on all sorts of different things. And uh, basically, if you haven't been caught up with the story so far, the normal General Conference that happens every four years was supposed to happen in 2020. Of course, with COVID, it had to be delayed. Last year, they sort of aimed for it, but it really was too sticky still to do it for around the world. You know, you're bringing people from all sorts of places, uh, including very far out remote places and, and villages and stuff and places that may not or may not have a lot of uh, access to vaccines and things like that. 
And so, uh, again, last year they had to postpone it, and then this year they're still trying for it in September, but of course they're still facing all sorts of hurdles. And one of the hurdles of, you know, there's many hurdles, but one of them was the fact that they're still struggling to get access to some, many of the delegates that live out in far reach places, the ability to get the vaccines uh, and then be able to come over. So in some ways, um, one of the groups, you know, there's different little kind of focus groups, if you will, that were searching for different things. And one of the groups said, hey, let's, let's do something about it. So they did a fundraiser and they said, hey, let's do this thing where if anybody, you know, in all the countries, there's always a free place to get your vaccines. That's not the problem. The problem is getting there and paying for the transportation, like much normally at least a hotel room for a night and then a transportation back is, is actually not easy to do for a lot of our delegates. And so they said, well, let's just raise money and pay for it. So anybody that wants to can go get a vaccine and come back and then go get the second dose and then come back and then they have a card and then at least that hurdle, you know, if they're still by that time it would come, they still have a card that can, let, they can get in the country or wherever we're gonna do this and have the ability to do it. So they raised money and they did that. Well, fast forward the story, uh, there's been some bishops around the world that took issue with this. And so uh, specifically Bishop Niyatiwa from Zimbabwe Bishop Ruke, Ruker that is, from Germany, and Bishop Kwan from the Philippines. And so these are three bishops that aren't in the United States of America, but around the globe. And so they, they basically wrote a letter um, chastising the group that did this. It was the WCA that did this uh, fundraiser and all these different things. And they said, hey, uh, what you're doing is not right. It's a sign of colonialism. You're trying to exploit these delegates and then make them, I guess, in theory, kind of vote for what you want kind of thing. But it's not equity in the sense that people in their village aren't getting vaccines, you're not taking care of the people in their community, um, and so this is just a, a new era of colonialism and things like that, and so they kind of kept referring to that idea. Council of Bishops uh, read the letter, and then they kind of put their own stamp on it and said, hey, we stand with our brothers and sisters from you know, these countries, and we want to encourage every United Methodist to go out there and read the letter. So first of all, as the bishops, Council of Bishops have encouraged each of you to go find this letter that the, these three bishops wrote, to read it, and then they also just encouraged uh, the church to hear it. Well, that would be the end of the story, except that some people that represented from the WCA from those same countries got together, well, not same countries, there, were, there was one from uh, Zimbabwe, one from the Philippines, and actually instead of one from Germany, it was actually one from Bulgaria, that got together and wrote a letter back, and, and so back and forth, and pretty much their argument was, this isn't colonialism at all, these are delegates that want to have, they have equally been, they've been duly you know, voted in as delegates, they want to come vote, this is an opportunity to get one of the hurdles out of their way. That's not colonialism, that's just taking care of people and giving them the opportunity to vote when they have the opportunity to vote. And part of that is if they keep delaying it pretty much one more year, those people that had the opportunity to vote won't get an opportunity to vote because it'll be a new cycle for delegation, for delegates, you see. So it gets sticky, right? And so it gets a little complicated in that sense. So what they're, what they're kind of, that's what's been going on. And so just so you know, there was a, a lay leader that is from Zimbabwe that wrote it named uh, Simon Mifonda, there was a Reverend Dr. Uh, Jonathan Razon from the Philippines, as well as Reverend Dr. Daniel Topolsky from Bulgaria that wrote that letter. And again, so there was some back and forth and kind of it's just standing there where it is now. Uh, but I wanted to let you know about that just because if you read it in the articles and stuff going on, at least you kind of know a little bit in, in a nutshell. But of course, you can go online and find both those letters that were written back and forth to each other. They may be a little more pointed at each other than I shared with you today. Uh, because sometimes, you know, people get passionate about things and the couple things that they kind of jab at each other. But wanted you to know that, so that's what's going on with that. Um, I normally, all, sometimes I don't share my opinion on things, but I think it's worthy of sharing on this, I think, because kind of all this, how do, you, how do you distinguish between bishops and then doctor, you know, people that are actually doctors and stuff like that that are lay leaders and all that stuff. Um, so part of my opinion is I think 
in our denomination for a while, there's been a disconnect from some of our leaders like bishops and the people. And I think you really kind of see that very clearly in this example here. And I think, um, you know, what I would encourage, I don't think anybody in Zimbabwe or anything like that's listening to us, but in case you are, uh, if you're a delegate and you happen to hear this, you know, I would encourage you, if you feel it's colonialism, don't go do it. And if you do and you want to, or if you don't feel it's colonialism and you feel like it's somebody trying to help you out to have your vote, go take advantage of it, take the shot, give every hurdle out of the way so you can do your rightly vote. Um, so my personal opinion on it is, uh, you know, I, don't, I think it's a little far-fetched to claim it's colonialism. I don't think it's quite exploitative or anything. It's not like people are being forced to do it. It's not like if you take it, you have to vote a certain way or anything like that. It's just giving you the opportunity to come and be part of it uh, is my interpretation. So I wanted to share that with you just because, uh, uh, again, uh, what we read in media, what we read and see in things uh, can sometimes not have the whole story, but I do encourage you to go read the two letters so at least you know the two different arguments that are being made at this time. Well, with that funness out of the way, we'll get back to this real sermon, woohoo, as we're here today. And uh, as we join in the, this service, I have to admit to you that this is one of the, like, the points of scripture where my heart is really moved. And this is a point in Exodus, in Exodus 33 specifically, where the golden calf just happened, right? So you remember the whole story, right? The, the Israelites are brought out of Egypt and the whole Red Sea, and there's even Mount you know, Sinai, the giving of the tablets. And while Moses is on Mount Sinai, the people go, well, Moses has taken his pretty time. You know what? Egypt wasn't so bad. Let's get all our earrings and cast them off and make a golden calf, and let's bow down and worship it. This is our new God, right? And, and they convince Aaron, Moses' brother, to actually do this, and, and Moses, Aaron goes along with it, and so that's what they do. Of course, Moses comes down. God gets mad. They break the Moses breaks the tablets, and, uh, and a bunch of people get in trouble, and then uh, you know, the, the people after are left to determine whether or not they're going to actually follow the covenant of God, who's brought them out of Egypt, or whether they're going to go their own way. But in this story, as we read before, there's this kind of this heartfelt moment. And you know, it's kind of interesting because if you ever stop and think of it, do you follow God only for the good things that God brings in your life? Or do you follow God not only because he brings good things, but ultimately because you love God and that's part of God's character, so it's not like you can detach the good things, but nonetheless, do you just love God for the sake of loving God? And it's interesting in this story because here's what happens is Moses and the Lord are meeting together and they often would talk and do different things and the Lord's speaking to Moses, and he says, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to paraphrase it because we already read it, but he says, here's the deal. Chapter 33, I am not going to go with you guys, but I am going to fulfill my promise because I made a promise, and it's going to happen, so I'm going to go before you. You're going to get out. You're going to get the land that it was promised to you and your ancestors. I'm going to make it all happen, but I'm not going. <laughs> In essence, I'm no longer your God. You guys broke it. I'm done with it. I'm done with you. I'm going to go maybe choose someone else or do something else in the world, but I'll fulfill my promise to your ancestors and at least give you the land. And so Moses, of course, hears this and is heartbroken. And in this story, you remember what he says, they, the people hear these distressing words because Moses shares them with them, and they begin to mourn. And then no one put any ornaments, and you remember they took off the ornaments to, to do the golden calf, so they all take off their ornaments once again as almost a symbol of where their true worship is. And it says in those words, that for the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for every moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments on Mount Horeb. And of course, Moses would have had a tent. And 
as the scripture says and what we read here a little bit, is that Moses would go and, and quote-unquote, face-to-face with God. And so there was actually a, a curtain, so the, they weren't literally looking at each other's faces, but through the curtain, God would stay on one side, Moses was on the other, and they would talk as just people would talk. And if you go into this story, Moses comes back to the Lord in one of these talks, and so we didn't read this yet, but in chapter, or verse 33, or chapter 33, verse 12, it says this, that Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And remember that this nation is your people. Now, in other words, what Moses is saying in this moment is, Lord, we need you, right? Don't send us. Don't send us without you. Don't send us. We don't want the things. We want you. And as you keep reading on, the Lord says, and he replies, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord, who had just a moment ago, remember, said, well, I'm not going with you guys. You guys are too stiff-necked. In fact, if I go with you, I'm going to smite you because you're going to keep disobeying, right? You don't even want, you know, this is not good for you, not good for me. Let's break up. It's not me. It's you. And go on our way, right? And so, but Moses pleads to the Lord, and the Lord says, nope, I'm going to go with you. So the Lord says in these very words, I will do everything you've asked because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses asked one of the most bold things in the world ever to ask, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But as you read this story, it's so interesting because, you know, in basically all the way back to 1985, I believe it was, the U.S. Department of Treasury has had to fight something, specifically the idea of fake counterfeit bills. And so you and I know, of course, we have cash sometimes when we're not using our credit cards all the time in COVID, but sometimes we had cash and right, you have the, the green dollar bills and all these different things. And for, for hundreds of years now, the US government has had to fight people making counterfeit dollars and money. In fact, the Secret Service does a lot of its time researching whenever there's a, a report of counterfeit money. I, uh, I heard as a kid, one of the, they came and talked to us one time, we we're just, you know, it was one of those your kid in the class, somebody knew somebody, so they came in and just told us what they do. And, uh, and, and the guy came in and he told us, he's like, yeah, part of my job is to track down counterfeit people. And we were like, well, how do you know if it's counterfeit? Because, right? And he said, I have to spend an hour a day studying a dollar bill. And he literally said that he goes in and he studies the front of it and the back of it for every tiny little detail and spends an hour just focusing on it. And so when he comes across and that little tiny spider's nut in the corner, right? Or the little tiny C is a little bit off, or, you know, like, if the ink isn't just the right color, he would know. Or if the paper wasn't cut to exactly the right size, or the margins, or the boundaries were a little off, he always knew. And it was always amazing to me to think about that, that this idea of counterfeit money, that things could look real, but not be the real thing. And yet so many times they were passed off and used as the real thing, but ultimately held no value and did a whole lot of harm as they were passed around. And when I think about this story, I think about the idea of what John Wesley would call false religion. And basically what he meant by that is religion that had all the trappings that looked like, you know, faith, that looked like devotion to God, 
It looked like all those good things. It looked godlike in many ways. But ultimately, God was missing from it. In fact, John Wesley and the other early Methodists spent most of their time trying to refine God and try to rekindle that idea of getting back and connecting with God in so many different ways. And this story, I think, is sort of that moment, right? Where God's saying, hey, here's the deal. Do you want the counterfeit? Because I'll give it to you. You can go spend it how you want, right? But the real thing's not going with you. And of course, the people, to their credit, even though they had just worshipped the idol, to their credit, they bemoan and wail and turn to the Lord and repent. And they say, no, 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 we need God with us. And in fact, Moses goes on their behalf and pleads to the Lord, don't send us from here. Because we're not just after your blessings, we're not just after the, the things, but we know that you're the real Lord. And we want to worship and serve you and who you are. As you go on this story, one of the most bold things that's ever said in Scripture is said by Moses here. And he turns to the Lord, and, you know, he's just kind of, not quarreled with Moses, but he's just bartered with God, you know, like saying, hey, God, please do this and please do that, if you will. And then he says these words to the Lord. He says, show me your glory. Now, this is the man who sits in a tent, and there's the veil, right? But nonetheless, God's on the other side in some type of form speaking with him, and they're going back and forth and talking and doing these things. And yet... God, Moses says to him, show me your glory. And that's his prayer. And it's crazy, but the Lord says these words when he says that. He says, and the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he did say, or he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there's a place near here for me where you can stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. And I will remove my hand from you and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And so there's this amazing moment in scripture where the Lord hears this bold request from the people of Moses, or that is, where Moses is pleading, Lord, don't send us from here. We need you. We're not leaving unless you're going with us. And then furthermore, Moses had the boldness to say, Lord, show me your glory, as in like, just, we want you. I mean, we want you, O Lord. This is the single thing of our hearts. This is the single thing that we want. Show me your glory. I want the glory, Lord. I want you. I don't want your things. I don't want the land. I want you. And if you're not in it, I don't want to be part of it. And the Lord said, Okay. <laughs> And he did it to the best degree that they could because, of course, as God shared, if you see my face, you're going to die. So that can't happen, but I'll show you my glory. And so they worked out, he worked out this way for the Lord, or Moses, that is to see the Lord from the backside as he crossed over. And Moses got to see the glory of the Lord and proclaim it. You know, one of the things that I think is pretty helpful for us as Christians is remember that we can be bold. We can't. Not because of anything we've done or anything we earn, but because of Jesus' love for us. And in fact, in many ways, maybe we've gotten caught up in the land or the different things like the Israelites did, or maybe we even found ourselves taking off our earrings and making a golden calf. But yet the Lord says, I want you. I want you to be my people. And if we're bold enough to say, oh Lord, show me your glory, the Lord will do it. In other words, if we're desperate enough, if we long enough to say, Lord, I want you, and I, 
I know there's blessings that come with that, but I'm not necessarily after the blessings. I'm after seeking you and you alone. Lord's like, okay, game on. Let's do this. In so many ways, as I go about life, there's so many days I think that I wake up, you know, your brain doesn't switch on per se. You're just kind of going through the motions or something like that. And you love the Lord, but you know, like, you're just not in his presence, right? And there's other days where, where something in my brain will click and it's like you're just in the Lord's presence that whole entire day, right? And, you know, we all struggle. We're human. And so, of course, that's just natural to happen. But my prayer is, oh, Lord, when I wake up, show me your glory, right? And that's a big thing to say when you have four-year-old twins because you never know who naked is going to come running by when you pray that. But I want to see the glory of the Lord the moment I wake up and every single day that I live. But I don't think it's too bold for the church, or any church, but our church, specifically, to say, Lord, show us your glory. In a world where things are confusing, in a world where bishops and people under the bishops don't agree and arguing about whether something's good or not, or in a world where people are splitting and changing, or in a world where, where you know, different leaders of our country or leaders of the world disagree on what the right thing to do is, in a world where we can't decide whether kids should go to school or not go to school right now, in a world where we don't know whether Supreme Court should be doing this or doing that, in a world where it's just thing after thing after thing after thing. One thing we do have is the ability to come to the Lord because of what Jesus Christ did to us and say, oh Lord, show us your glory. For we, your people, and your church do not want to go into the land unless you're with us. I want that to be our prayer this year in 2022, that we would be a people that would pray, Lord, show us your glory, and wherever you lead us, we'll follow, Lord, because we don't want the land without you. Let us pray, Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love, for your presence, for the goodness of who you are. God, you do bless us in so many ways, and God, Lord, I mean, we just think about our lives and where we could be without you and where we are because of the work you've done in our life. We are truly thankful for that. But God, as we're here today, we know that there's always that temptation to walk off without you, to even do the things you've called us to do without you, to go and look like the church or look like the people of God or even look like a pastor. The Lord be not filled with you. God, as we're here today, we know that's a human always temptation before us. In all those ways we fall short, Lord, we pray for forgiveness. But as we're here today, Lord, we not only pray for that forgiveness, but we accept the strength you give us to continue to put you first in our life and to make sure that we serve you. And so, Lord, as boldly as a church, we pray this prayer together. In a world that continually feels like just a tornado around us, we pray that prayer of Moses. Lord, show us your glory. Because, God, we love you more than anything else. We want to be your people more than anything else. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.